Now the subject I'm going to deal with for the rest of our time involves the word to reckon. Some of you may have guessed that when we read Romans 6. But I'm still going to another passage first which bears upon not doctrine but the attitude of one of, one of us to the other. Uh, Philippians chapter... Oh, there's one thing I forgot. You, you don't mind me repenting, do you? Because this word was impressed upon me, can two walk together except they are met in those early days uh, when uh, I arranged with a young lady that we might meet at the park gates one Sunday evening and go for a walk. Well, we did. She waited at one end, I waited at the other and we both went home. <laughs> because we hadn't met. We couldn't walk together because we hadn't met. All oh, that impressed it upon me forever afterwards. We see to it now that we know which, which end of the park we meet. And of course, we have met and walked together all these years since. Now, I thought I ought to tell you that too. Well now, I want you to come to Philippians 4, just for a, a brief word. You'll say this is a strange sort of a subject I'm taking because it doesn't seem to have any point in it yet. Well, we're just clearing up a few little outside edges first. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now the word I'm considering is the word to reckon. And this is not the word to think. This is to impute or to reckon. I'm going to ask you friends this. Carry about with you a magnifying glass. You don't need a magnifying glass to find the faults of people while they're sticking out a mile, aren't they? And we see them at once. But will you remember that you're in the line of the will of God if you carry about a magnifying glass. Now, our brother says, he won't mind me putting the magnifying glass on him like this. And I say, if, see I'm saying it like that, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Reckon these things. Don't you see how easy it would be for me to try to find all the faults I could? Well, it'd be a simply like what they say, falling off a log, wouldn't it? But you see, I put this magnifying glass on and I look him up and down and I can begin to see just the remotest little spot. Yes, yes. I say, if there be any virtue. If there be, I'm getting the focus, you see. <laughs> I remember when I took a, a course at um, Horticultural College, they got mi- microscopes and I did what everybody did. They said, that's the high power one. Well, I couldn't see anything. So he said, that's all right. Now come back here. Oh, yes. That's the leg of a fly. Yes. That's a little egg on the leg of a fly. That's the microbe that's in the... You see? Yes. Well, now, if you have to do that, if you get the high power on, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, reckon these things. And do you know what's going to happen? Next verse. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, so the apostle says, I do that. The God of peace shall be with you. And that's even more wonderful than the peace of God. So I can disagree with our brother. I can think, well, I don't know where he's got over this. But I can see the virtue. I can see the praise. He believes the word of God. He's seeking to follow out the teachings of the word of God. And if, if any man does that, he can do very little more. Because I'm conscious of this, 
when he and I stand before our Lord at last, I'll have so much that I'll have to confess in that day that I shan't have much chance of saying, well, I told you so. (laughs) No, no, not then. So I'm not going to do it now. Now, if that disappoints you, friends, I'm sorry. But I hope you'll see the other side. You see, I could be a leader of a faction. And I have to say so many times, Lord, save me from my friends. And I see the Apostle Paul could have been a leader of a faction. He could have been the leader of the uncircumcision party. Oh, what an opportunity. And he said, circumcision availeth nothing, neither uncircumcision. Neither one nor the other. But a new creation. That's all I'm concerned about. And so, as I said, I quoted a bit from Shakespeare. I said, I look at some of these folks and I say, I plague on both your houses. I'm not concerned with either of them. The only thing that I'm concerned about is Christ and all that flows from him. Coming that way down, not this way up. Well, now it's time we got down to the subject which is uppermost in my mind. It is very, very simple. It is very, very intimately connected with our hope and our calling, our salvation and our peace. I'm I'm purposely not taking any subject that would be sort of tickling the ears of someone who was expecting, you know, all these questions of mystery and heavenly places and all up in the blue. This is my one opportunity and I want to speak on these more simple, direct, basic lines. First of all, you remember, or perhaps you do not know, I don't know, you may remember that in the Old Testament, the books are arranged in a little different order. And the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Chronicles. That's natural. It starts with Adam, goes right the way through their history to the last kings who ended into tragic failure. And on the last page of the Old Testament, at the end of their Bible, no New Testament attached to it, the last page we read, no remedy. No remedy. Then we turn the page and we have the book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of Abraham, his name should be called Jesus, and his name is Emmanuel. That's God's answer. So it says, his name was Emmanuel, which by interpretation means God with us. Now there are several words translated with, and I dare say you've had them all sketched out before you. You want to remember their differences. The particular word which is used here in Matthew 1, God with us, is the word meta, which strictly means one after another. You have a row of houses and all the people live with their neighbours. Well, they don't make the mistake to put the key in the wrong door one night. No, no, there's a difference between living with meta, one after the other, and soon together with inside. Oh, yes. If you didn't believe that piece of Greek before you put the key in the door, you'd know it soon afterwards, friends. Yes. So, first of all, here we have Christ coming into this world, born as a babe, with us, but separated with us, but holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And that story goes right on until you read the words which are recorded in the Gospels, quoting from Isaiah 53, he was reckoned or numbered with the transgressors. Again, the word meta. He wasn't a transgressor. Our version says he was made sin for us. And one friend of mine, a young man, He swept aside all the teaching of the Septuagint, all the teaching of the Hebrew, because as a young man he knew, and said that was foolish, that was trifling. So I said to him, it's rather a drastic thing to say of all the testimony of the Old Testament, both Hebrew and Greek, isn't it? He wanted it to mean he was made sin for us and leave it there. Well, you can't leave it there. 
You've got to take it further one way or another. But the, the testimony is continuous in the Old Testament that the words sin and sin offering are used synonymously. Our Saviour was made a sin offering. He bare our sin, but he did no sin. And so we have the fact that he was reckoned with the transgressors. And the moment that took place, another word is used. The deeper, richer, fuller word, sin, together with. Not one after the other, but together with. If God could treat that son of his as he did, reckoning him with transgressors, well, I can believe he can treat me as he does in his love and his mercy on that same mode of reckoning, imputing. I'm not, I'm not righteous, not me myself, not yet before God. I'm not holy. I'm a long way from it in myself before God. But he has told me to use this expression, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. If a man was here in his coffin when we had a funeral service, you wouldn't say to him down the gate, uh, 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 reckon yourselves to be dead. He wouldn't even know what you said. So when God says to me, reckon yourself to be dead, I know that I'm not there actually. I'm there by reckoning. Because if it was actual, I should despair. There's so much of CHW about it that I should begin to despair, but then I remember, I remember that CHW was reckoned to have died with him and been raised with him. All that marvellous reckoning. But the first reckoning which we get is in Galatians chapter 2 where we have the words I've already quoted. This is um, Paul's first great answer to Peter with regard to this question of justification by faith without works. And he says, so far as I'm concerned, Verse 19, I through the law am dead to the law, but I might live unto God. This makes me think, or about 28 or 29 years ago, I visited Toronto for the, about three months. And a friend said to me, I suppose you've worked out all your lectures first. I said, work them out. Never. I couldn't do that. I just make them up as I go along. You know, that was the only way of saying it. Oh no, I couldn't go all plumbed up like that. I waited till I got there and I discovered that there was a need to take this epistle to the Galatians. So I gave them the first lecture and I gave them the second and then I was getting ready for the third and I thought, oh dear, there's a blackboard there and there's all their notebooks there and I've got to this section and I've got the ghost of an idea where it begins or ends. But as I couldn't come to any conclusion, I put on my hat and walked right round the block, came back and wrote out the structure. Now, don't think that's the way you do it. Uh, no, uh, but something fell into shape. Look, in the second chapter, we who are Jews by nature, at the beginning of chapter 4, those who were by nature are no gods. Oh, I said, here it comes. We who are Jews by nature, and those who are by nature are no gods. And then he said to Peter, if I build again the things which are destroyed, and he said to those in the fourth chapter, why turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements and we do the same thing? And then he said in chapter 2, so far as I'm concerned, Peter, I, to the law, by the law, am dead to the law. And he said to them, be as I am, for I am as you are. Now, if you want a nice little exercise, read the commentators what they're doing with that. Be as I am, for I am as you are. Or you'll get, you'll get a, a marvellous variety. But if you're one seed, He's telling the Galatians that they're doing the same thing as Peter 
Only Peter was going one way back to the law of Moses, and they were going back to ceremonies and so on, which was tantamount to going back to their idols. Well now, that puts it in its place, but we can't deal with that. So here we have, I through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. That's a point to remember. Never stop it dead to the law. It was, a, was an object that I might live unto God. Or in Romans 6, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but don't stop there. But alive unto God. God is dealing with life. Death is an incident on the pathway, as it were. A dreadful incident, certainly, but not a goal. Now he says in verse 20, I am, or better still, I have been crucified with Christ. There are some folks, if you touch upon the, uh, the grammar, their faces go blank, their eyes begin to glaze, and uh, oh, they think. But you do know that the perfect tense, I dare say you've had it many times, is a wonderful tense. And if you don't, just come into the little private room of Pilate when the Jews came back to him once more and said, we don't quite like that inscription you put over the cross. And he turned round and he didn't say, now dear Jews, I'm going to use the perfect tense. He said, what I have written, I have written. And they went. That meant to say it remains. What has been done remains. So this is the tense. I have been crucified with Christ and it remains. Not merely I was, but I have been. He says, that's my condition, Peter. That's my end. That's where I am. It's a rather remarkable thing, and if you've never thought of it, you may object. And if you do, it'll send you back to your Bible, which is the best, next best thing. Peter never once mentions the cross of Christ. Have you noticed that? Every time Peter refers to it as the tree, and so in Galatians we have both. Paul is linking the Roman Gentile aspect of the crucifixion with the Hebrew aspect of hanging on a tree. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So there's the link. This Saviour is the Saviour for those under the law by bearing its curse. This Saviour is the Saviour for those who were dominated by the world and the flesh and the devil. And in both cases, we meet at the cross. All oh, many years ago in London, I was asked to speak to some children. I don't know I was very much of a children's man, but I just drew on the board a line. And I said, now, I was playing on the fact that there was a station then, they've changed it since, called Adam Street. See? And a station here called Palace Gates. So then I asked, now, what, what station must we start from? And there's plenty of main stations, you know, there's Victoria and there's Waterloo and there's Charing Cross and all the others. Of course, you know where we got at last. King's Cross. Every one of us are going to start at King's Cross. In spirit, we can't start anywhere else. The Cross of Christ is where we begin. That's the Passover. Chapter 12 of Exodus. This month, this month is the beginning of months to you. Change in the calendar starting again at King's Cross. Some poor people start at a baptismal font. No, that's not the start. The Passover lamb. The baptism came afterwards when they were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And although we're not going to deal with baptism, it's a remarkable thing that that one incident of baptism, every time God mentions the crossing of the Red Sea, he rubs it into you so that you'll remember that they were not 
touch with a spot of water. They went over dry shod like a man walks through. But still, that's another question. <laughs> so here we have the first. I have been crucified with Christ. Now these words are actually used to describe those two men on either side of the cross. As though we mustn't forget that's what it means. Not being a nice little figure. A dreadful statement. They were crucified with him. Those two men. And one of them railed on him. The other said, we are justly condemned but this man did nothing amiss. Crucified with him. Then in Romans 6, it tells you the deepest part of the doctrine. That, we, that, that, that through the crucifixion with him, we've crucified the old man. But it doesn't say we destroyed the old man. The word means to put out a work in order. But it's got a marvellous ability to rehabilitate itself. It can get its works going again a little bit if you give it an opportunity. But God has put a spoke. It need not have dominion over you. Its presence hasn't been removed yet, but its dominion is broken. Well now, of course, we could go on with that for the rest of the time. The marvel of our association by this reckoning with the cross of Christ. But I think it would be better if we just went up the few steps that lead us, don't you? Instead of staying there because you know so well. And you know the next one is that we have died with it. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed after sin. Reckon that we died with it. And then, the third one, buried with him. I've already touched upon the fact that the first baptism that's mentioned in the Bible was a baptism into Moses. And that is the type that we should carry over into the New Testament, the baptism of every believer into Christ. But the uh, generality of people ignore that Red Sea baptism and they go back to the tabernacle services for all the baptisms and washings which the Holy Ghost said were imposed upon them until the time of Reformation. I do remember once, Dr. Bullinger at a meeting, or somebody said to me, how do you pronounce it? Well, you pay your money and you take your choice. If you were living on the continent, you'd call him Dr. Bullinger, and if you're living in England, because we're such an easy-going people, we soften it all down and we say Bullinger. And he answered to both. So, uh, I remember in a meeting once, he was speaking about the process of confirmation in the Church of England, and the ordination of ministers. And then he said, uh, a little bit like Winston Churchill, you know, forgot a word and said, uh, 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 what is that word he says? Oh, the imposition. Oh, yes, the imposition of hands, you know, two meanings. And so, imposed on them until the time of Reformation. So we mustn't go to a passage like that, or any passages like that, to get the glorious relationship of the believer with his Lord. But it's deeper than that. We are crucified with him. We have died with him, all by reckoning. We have been buried with him. And there's nothing so final, is there, beloved friend? as a burial. It's been my sad bit of service, I dare say our brother said us had to do it, to conduct a funeral service for a beloved brother or sister in Christ. And we see the little company of folk there, they bear the marks in their faces, they've sat up day and night, they've spent their money freely, they've done everything humanly possible, and now they're stopped. Why? Because there's nothing so final as dead and buried. And when you stand at that grave, you know this. 
that if ever another movement is to take place, it must come from the hand of the living God. Well, that's where we are. And if every believer only knew that, we'd be a different class of people altogether. We would realise that the old man and all his ways has been reckoned by God to have been crucified, dead and buried. And now we start. And quite a number of God's people have gone over it like this. They say, we're crucified, we're crucified with him, we died with him, we're buried with him, we're raised with him, we're seated with him, we're manifested with him. Well, I said, you left one out. I said, have I? Let's go over it again. We're crucified with him, we died with him, we're buried with him, we're raised with him, we're seated with him. Well, what have I left out? Ephesians 2 says, before we're raised with him, we're quickened with him. Oh, we're not going to lose that, are we, friends? That's where I'm coming in. That's where I've got my little bit of vitality. It's, it isn't a bit of I've been having for me breakfast. That's only, a, that's only the, a means in the hands of the Lord. No, no. So long as I've got service for him, that quickening is mine. And when I touch the tape at the end, and I've no more need for that with this vim and vitality, then we're ended. But nobody will stop me. Nero never stopped Paul. The, the Lord stopped him because he finished his course. And so, don't barter away that by forgetfulness. The life I now live in the flesh, said the Apostle, you can't get away from that, can you? So there is a quickening, beginning now. Quickening isn't birth. But it's an indication that birth's on its way. And you don't undervalue it. So here we are. The outward man perishing. I'm not being rude, of course. The outward man perishing. But the inward man being renewed day by day. Don't give up that precious result of your union with Christ. A vital connection with the risen, living Son of God. That comes in Ephesians 2, of course. And then, we go on. Not only are we quickened with him, but then it says raised with him. Now, there's another feature to keep in mind. There are two words translated to raise. One means to wake up, and the other means to stand up. Now, in the ordinary course, that's what happens with you and me. We first of all wake up, and we're sort of seeing things a bit bosky. We're seeing men like trees walking. If you shut one eye, you know what it looks like. Uh, if we're not careful, we're going to sleep again. We, we just wake up. And then presently, it dawns upon us, oh, we get up. It's two movements. We are not yet raised from the dead, not literally. You know, there are some people who are perilously near teaching the resurrection is past already, and that word eats as a canker. But that should not prevent us from seeing this blessed anticipation that even though we may not be yet in resurrection glory, we've been awakened out of our sleep. Just a little touch, just a little movement. We're awake. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give you light, said the apostle. So that our life here in this world is a very small little anticipation of the glory that's coming. Well, then we move from being raised together with him to the unique passage in Ephesians 2. We're seated together. Seated together. 
Oh, I have had some letters over that. There's one man called me a blasphemer. I've been all, called all sorts of things. I've been called a hardy perennial. I don't know what else. Yeah, and this is a terrible statement. Because I was usurping the unique place of the Son of God. Of course, I wrote back to him and I said, well, leave Ephesians out of it altogether. Here's a passage in the Revelation. He that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am sat with my father in his throne. What are you going to do about that? Is that blasphemy? This particular expression, seated together, occurs nowhere else. Seated, yes, but not seated together. It's the climax. Seated together. Now, I'm not seated together with Christ, physically, literally, but potentially, that's my position. Or Philippians chapter 3 says, your citizenship, not merely is the verb to be, but exists as a reality and a fact, all the time, in heaven. That's my citizenship. I'm there, potentially. And the Philippians would appreciate that, because Philippi was a Roman colony. A very different idea from a British colony. It was a Rome, it was Rome with one exception. It wasn't in Rome itself. They were exempt from certain taxes, they had certain privileges, and the apostle wrote to the Philippians says, won't you act as Romans, even though you're not actually in Rome? Won't you act as citizens of heaven, even though you're down here? That's the idea. Remember your citizenship. And so we have seated together with him. 